Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. I'm Peter Switzer. Rapidly rising prices and fierce competition for houses are making it harder to buy and sell properties in the same market, leaving some owners wondering if they should sell first and buy later or vice versa. My first guest is Brooke Flint of Flint Property and she says you have to be well prepared for the most ferocious market she's ever seen. And then private credit provider Paul Mirren from M Square Capital talks about how the better than expected economic recovery is making the business of lending and investing backed by property values less risky. And then buyer's agent Paul Wilcox of Oasis Scheme Property looks at the small number of properties being passed in at auction and why some apartments are good value at the moment in this really hot market. So let's kick off and meet Brook Flint. Well, we all know that the property market is really hot right now. And to get an idea of what's going on at the coalface, I'm talking to Brooke Flint from Flint Property. Thanks for joining us on the program, Brooke. Thanks for having me, Peter. So just tell us what uh, Flint, Flint Property actually does. So Flint Property is a buyer's advocacy and property advisor. Uh, we essentially, the main core of our business is actually helping people buy property. Uh, however, we also do sales advisories as well. So we get to, which is advisors, vendors, how to sell. We get to see both sides of the equation, but under the umbrella of being a property advisor as opposed to a selling agent. Yeah, okay. So in a story in the uh, in Domain this week, it talked about homeowners caught out by market moving too fast to buy in. So what are you seeing in that respect? Oh, my goodness. Um, my word for this market is ferocious. I've never seen such a ferocious market. Um, to give you an idea of that, we put a deal together last night, uh, one of my team members, and um, we'd been working on putting uh, a deal together before auction, which is incredibly hard to do at the moment. So um, it takes a lot of uh, tactics to be able to do that and to understand pricing. And we were literally um, in the 11th hour and our clients' uh, parents went out for dinner with another couple of parents and their two children were going for the same property. So the other parents told the other child and the price went up. Luckily, um, you know, we were standing at the office about to, to do the deal. And, and what I am preempting my clients with is that this property market is even outside of the um, the control of the agent when you start putting a deal together. So get ready for the roller coaster. So, so you're saying that um, two siblings were actually fighting over the same property? No, so two friends of families oh, were, okay. were fighting over the same property, and they they we hadn't actually we were literally in the middle of signing it. But it is it, it it's because and so the reason I told that story is because there is a lack of stock on the market at the moment that's driving it. Obviously, interest rates is driving it as well, yeah. and good property um, is ferociously competitive. Yeah. Well, Brooke, when I was young and stupid, uh, I took the advice that it's really risky to buy first and then try and sell because you get caught up in bridging loans and things like that. And of course, bridging loans were very expensive in those days. Uh, are people actually? I'm reading that people are doing this. They are selling first and then buying later. And that is creating some potential problems. Look, it, as I said in the article on Sunday, um, 
I, I'm currently helping a downsizer and um, we were looking at uh, buying before she sold. Uh, again, went into an auction scenario and the downsizer market seems to always be an extreme market um, because it does have the principles of good property, you know, light proportions, double parking, the things that downsizers like. That property was, um, we could not buy that property prior to auction and an agent, selling agent was bidding against us and it, selling agents tend to bid a lot more uh, strongly than a buyer's agent um, because they're not in that buying game. And because my client hadn't sold and she hadn't had her bridging finance finalised, we had to come in at a certain price point. So we missed out on that property. So now we're selling first. Uh, and I think that if you've got the right advice around you to understand what your property's worth, what's what the problems are that is going to happen or take place, and you're comfortable with that, you can sell, uh, buy before you sell. Mm. Um, however, there's many people that actually financially, the banks want to see them sold. So they can't actually reach where they need to be in the marketplace to upsize that's probably one of the biggest problems at the moment in the marketplace is that the upsizers can't find property based on bank lending if they stay in their property. So they have to sell it to be able to upsize. Yeah. And, and I guess bridging finance isn't anywhere where, where it was in the 80s and 90s when the interest rates were a lot higher. Well, you know, in the 80s and 90s, I think it's okay, because I always think that we have to look at income levels and what the what we pay back in a mortgage each month mm. and use the maths around that. Um, you know, I wasn't in the market in the 80s or 90s, um, but I, my parents were and I saw the interest rate increase in, and, and obviously, you know, through parental um, wisdom sort of heard about the impact that that had. Mm. I don't know if it's that much easier today. I think bridging finance is really expensive because housing is really expensive. So when you get bridging finance, you're getting it, you know, on the whole price of a property um, and you have to have it over a 12 month period. So you have to have enough money in the bank to do that. Um, you know, depending on your financial position, it, it depends when whether you can get it. Not everybody can get bridging finance. You have to have 12 months of savings in your account to be able to get that. So, you know, it depends on where those families are at yeah. or, or individuals. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the downsizing market because yeah, I, I can see the, the rationale. I'm, I'm, I'm an older person living in, say, St Ives or Turak in Melbourne and I've got a valuable house, say, worth six or seven million dollars and I want to buy an apartment worth about three. So I walk away with three or four million from a super fund but, and I want a three-bedroom apartment in Paddington or Paran or Brighton, someplace which is where downsizers want to go, often to follow their kids who are at university in those sorts of areas. But those sort of apartments are selling for really high amounts. And I know some downsizers said, the, the numbers didn't work out. I didn't have enough actually left over after selling my house in, in Gordon or St Ives and buying in Paddington or Lawara. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's this issue at the moment with housing. I, I do a service that I don't see anybody do called Downsize by Design. Mm -hmm. So that essentially, um, I used to be a selling agent, okay? <clears throat> and so I'm able to assist people on that sales side, help them really understand what their property's worth and then transition them into the next property in a very seamless um, impact, right? So I guide them through the presentation, 
choosing a selling agent. I don't do the selling um, through the sales strategy that, that that happens. And if we buy or sell, I'll help them through that as well because they have two benchmarks of what a property is worth. So Downsize by Design is about sitting down with some downsizers and at first talking about what their goals and dreams are, wish lists, but also bringing them into reality and the real estate market and the conditions. So as a, as a seller's agent, do you actually look for the for a real estate agent to that you think will do the job or you actually perform the task of a real estate agent? I'm not a selling agent. I'm actually a member of REBA. I'm a buyer's agent. It's not that I, I I'm called a, a sales advisor. Vendor advocacy is what it's called in Melbourne. Yeah. So we oversee the process. And I think that working in unison, a good selling agent with a good buyer's agent can really do uh, very well for those clients because the selling agent really understands the, you know, the dynamics of their database, the buyers that may be interested. Um, you know, we're always going to choose somebody that's got a high level of um, emotional uh, intelligence as well and the area contacts, bringing out-of-area buyers. And then I actually oversee that. So I get to see across the board what's happening in Sydney. So when we're making those pivotal decisions, whether we sell prior at auction or what price we quote at, I'm actually overseeing that. All right, so, so to be clear on this then, that you, know, you, you would actually be objectively looking at the performance of the real estate agent for your client? Well, I mean, once we've chosen the agent, I know that they're going to be a great performer. It really, the reason that I, that I, you know, clients use this service is to truly understand what their property is worth instead of being sold to. You know, selling agents, there's a lot of good ones out there, but let's face it, when you're a downsizer, you probably haven't dealt with one for quite some time and you find them quite pushy and salesy and, you, you know, sometimes they have their own agendas, right? Whereas I come from a perspective of an advisor. So, you know, a trusted advisor as well. I uh, take a flat fee for service and I'm working on helping them do this transition. And sometimes I might say to them, this is not the right time to sell. Mm. So we'll wait for a year or don't sell this property. It is amazing, yeah. you know. Um, so I'm not trying to sell to them. Yeah. But so I've been to auctions where I've seen both buyers and sellers really pushed by their real estate agent to, uh, to make the sale or, or make the purchase. So as an advisor, do you sit beside your client and say, nah, don't, this is not, this guy's just trying to get the, the sale across the line. This is a bad deal. So I'm very respectful of the fact that we actually work within an institution that is being created by an industry, okay? And, the, and us as people work within that. So because of my 20 years experience, I'm actually able to preempt scenarios that are about to take place. I understand the sales process. I understand where the property needs to be priced. Nobody prices like, like I do. Like the selling agents, that's not their job, but it's my job. So when you educate your vendor, with information rather than them having that vulnerability of like, oh my God, if we don't sell, we're never going to get this price, they can make a much better informed decision. So I'm all about education. I'm not about poo-pooing the selling agent. If I'm working with a selling agent, I want them to do an incredible job. Sometimes as an ex-selling agent, I know this, you only focus on that one property sale and your own fear kicks in that nobody's going to turn it up at auction or that maybe this is a great price or something like that. So I'm there as a check-in with that agent to ensure that we're actually making the right strategic move 
Now, I'm talking about selling prior because I do this in down markets when sometimes the best way to sell a property is prior to auction. Currently at the moment, it's it's most likely to go to auction, you know, but maybe sometimes there's somebody that's, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else and it's worth putting the deal together beforehand. So it's those crucial decisions when you're selling your home and you're only relying on a selling agent that's actually selling to you. You don't feel like you're making an informed decision. So people may do things that they may later regret because when you're a downsizer, every dollar counts, you know? Yeah. Have you seen many, I'm not saying your clients because I guess you, you, you would say you're so brilliant it never happens, but... Look, I am actually very collaborative and um, I think brilliance comes from understanding that things are done within a team. So I've got an incredible stylist. The agent we use is always going to be on the team for the vendor. So it's not my brilliance. It's actually the brilliance of a team. I was being a little bit facetious there. But but the bottom line, I guess, uh, Brooke, is are you seeing lots of people basically missing out after selling their house and the, and the house they want to go for ha, has gone unbelievably high at auction. I'm not necessarily saying your clients, but you must have been at a lot of auctions where there's a lot of disappointed people. I get disappointed clients, but they're not my sales advisory clients. So as buyers, yeah. they're disappointed because the first home buyers that don't have an asset to sell in this marketplace, they are really feeling it at the moment. I'm seeing Sydney in such a huge demographic shift that I've never seen before. So I was a student in London in the 90s and um, I lived in an area because of the fact that it was close to the city, etc. I saw when I went back to London in the 2000s how those areas had demographically shifted based on the principles of those suburbs. That is now happening in Sydney because of pricing. So areas such as Kingsgrove that nobody ever wanted to live in, Earlwood, actually going through the roof um, because people are ferocious at the moment. So it's the downsizers that I've seen downsizers, like I, I got called in on a downsizer job a couple of years ago. They hadn't used me for a sales advisory because it wouldn't happen in under my watch, as you, you're correct in saying that. Um, I, I saw a, a downsizers, and I actually posted this on my socials, they'd been through 340 properties. They've sold in the ferocious um, markets um and no sorry they sold in a down market so the down market was from 2019 to 2019 sorry 2017 to 2019 they sold then and then they couldn't get back in and they've been through 340 properties so my advice to downsizers is they down some downsizers they get sold to by the selling agency you need to sell now the market do it do it do it i stand in the way of that i stand in a way of being sold to and educate my client to make the very best decision through understanding if they do want to buy a property in Paddington, how much is that going to cost them? How quickly can we find it? And is it going to be in the realm? And if we're in a moving market, we better be adding 10% to the equation. Yeah. Brooke, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks, Peter. Bye. That was Brooke Flint of Flint Property. And a couple of days ago, I caught up with the co-founder of N Square Capital, Paul Mirren, who helped me see how rising property prices is good for lenders and investors who make money available for borrowers. Joining me on the program is Paul Mirren, who is the founder of M Squared Capital. Co-founder, but we'll leave the other guy out, eh? For for today. For today. (laughs) For today. Uh, 
One thing, I, and I was thinking about you guys because, you know, in a perfect world, the greater the economic rebound of the Australian economy, the better it is for your business, the better it is for your borrowers, and ultimately it's, it's better for your lenders who basically fund a lot of the projects that you fund. Absolutely. So the confidence that we're seeing um, this quarter in comparison to when we had last year of COVID, mm. there are a lot more investors prepared to invest into mortgages. Mm. There's a lot more borrowers who are seeing opportunities to borrow money, to make money as well. Yeah. So it is a much more buoyant situation that we've seen okay. last year. For people who haven't seen you on this program before, just in a nutshell, what does M Square Capital do? Look, we're a private credit provider, mm. uh, meaning that we match uh, opportunities with our, for our investors in, to invest into direct mortgages. More, more importantly, we have the platform to allow each investor to choose the type of investment that, which is best suited for them. Mm. Um, so, uh, and I've, I've been on the show many times, mm. um, there's a misunderstanding with a lot of consumers or a lot of investors in relation to how to invest in mortgages. Mm. A lot of people know what a pooled fund is, mm. that you just, you know, you write a check, there's, there's 50, 60 mortgages, but the variability in mortgages is significant. Mm. You might be investing in something which is a construction deal in regional Australia, uh, in the same pool of assets where it could be against a unit in Parramatta. Mm. Um, so you're not pooled, you're we're unpooled. Not, we're not pooled. Mm. We allow investors to invest intelligently and mm. choose the right opportunity for them. Mm. And the benefit in doing so, they can control the risk okay. and they can increase the return. Okay, so in simple terms, someone comes in, they might yep. want to borrow $5 million, right? That's right. Okay. You then say to them, well, we want some kind of security lending you $5 million. Yeah. What is that security? Look, the security is we, we take first mortgage. We normally never go over 65%. And what that means is if, that, if, if the value of the property at the present moment is $5 million, we'll not lend more than 65% value of that property. Yeah. So that guy, for example, he wanted to borrow $6 million. Mm. If he had a $10 million property, you could lend to him because $6 million over 10 is 60%. Absolutely. Okay, that gives you a margin of safety. But then you've got to try mm. and find that $6 million. Mm. You don't give it to me personally. No. You go, you go to your investors, Even though who we are effectively are savers, and yeah. they say, well, look, if you like the idea of this project, yep. you can put some money into it, and that's the way you do it. And we do more than that. We actually source the opportunity, and we put a due diligence pack for our investors, mm. and it's not just looking at the security. It's mm. the quality of the security, it's the quality of the borrower, mm. and you have other elements. And the quality of the deal he wants to put the money into. Absolutely. Okay, and, this, right. and it may not just be a deal. Right now, because of COVID, we got a lot of people putting money. Uh, they want to borrow against their, their, their properties to put money into their business because mm. they see an opportunity coming out of COVID that the business activity is improving. Okay. They want to jump on that as well. So we find niches in the market where we can move very quickly. Yeah. And our competitors are not. And for we example, should, should say, this is not a government guaranteed uh, uh, savings deposit uh, yeah. because they're, they're paying about half a percent. That's you right. guys pay a lot more. We are, are the minimum or the lowest return deal that we've done in our fund so far mm. was about 6.7%. Yeah. Just to give you an idea, yeah. average it's about first mortgage mm. at 65, you're looking at sevens. Yeah. And, and, the, and the bigger the, the potential return, that is more risky than the, the lowest uh, return. Absolutely. And okay. we, we do the risk analysis on each particular deal. Mm. So we appropriately charge the borrower yeah. and give that, 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 that ret best okay. return for capital. And, and let's go back to my first question then. In that context, the better the economy, the better the opportunities, effectively the, the better it is for your business and your investors. 
Well, there's more opportunity on both sides. There's more investors, there's more borrowers yeah. as well. And, and, there's the more borrower, and the borrower's potential deals are going to be better in a stronger economy as well. Precisely. Generally speaking. Okay. All right. So there's been some spookiness about the bond market telling us that possibly interest rates could rise faster than yeah. expected. Does a rising interest rate environment affect your business? There's two parts of it. We're looking at, like if you look at it from a macroeconomic perspective, um, I think in the current market, um, the scare with, with the bond market is that if interest rates go up too quickly mm. or inflation goes up too quickly and RBA doesn't have enough control, the issue there is that we haven't given our economy enough time to recover. Mm. You still have to consider that our unemployment rate is 6.6%. Mm. Um, prior to the crisis, it was in the fours. Mm. So we haven't reached that capacity yet and a sudden increase in interest rates, what we're concerned about could happen is that people get less confident. Mm. And as I said before, more confidence, more opportunities, less mm. confidence, less opportunities. Mm. So though that we look at from a, that's from a macro perspective. However, even if that is the worst case scenario, we still, have, we still find opportunities. Mm. We still find opportunities for our investors and we still find good opportunities because sometimes the ban banks get a little bit less, mm. um, um, they, they get a lot, lot generous or mm. more reluctant to lend, lend money, yeah. and we can assess that. We can assess that risk, mm. and we can actually give those opportunities to our investors as well. Do you think that the Reserve Bank will have its way and it will hold interest rates down for at least two years? They, they've said three. Yeah. My get, best guess is that because it, things are looking so strong, sure. they might wait two years. But I, I got a funny feeling they can hold it for two years. I, th I, I agree with you. Like. The initial reaction when last week with the bond market going a little bit crazy, um, the, 10 year, the, the 10 and, and 30 year bond rates going up very suddenly, and plus all of the GDP figures coming out, inflation figures coming, are all much better than what we expected. Yeah. Um, I still think that they have a lot in reserve to keep, to keep, uh, to keep those interest rates down. Uh, we, we still, they got Q, QE2 and QE3, which is a, a significant amount of money, mm. talking about billions of dollars that they have available to buy the three-year bond rate to keep those interest rates low. Yeah. So I, th I, think, I, think, uh, I think they know exactly what they're doing and yeah. they, they're... Uh, In America, they say don't fight the Fed. We haven't got the equivalent, but our uh, Reserve Bank is like the Fed. Yeah. They, they've got a bit of firepower. Absolutely. All right, mate, l let's talk about... Um, I'm curious, because you guys actually look at this, not just the cities you're going to lend to, and you've had a bias towards the East Coast yes. since I've yep. known you, but you also have a bias in terms of suburbs that are doing really well and the suburbs yeah. that are not, because the person who comes to borrow from you, if he or she puts her house up, you got to look at the value of that house, the future of it, so you've yep. got to know the potential of a suburb or not. And you've picked a couple in Sydney suburbs that have really struggled. Tell us about well, that. See, it's very easy to read the headlines. And yeah. the headline for this month is that Sydney property prices, house prices, not mm. property prices, mm. house prices have gone up by 2.7 or 2.5% mm. in one month. Yeah. Now that's quite significant. That's, yeah. that's the quickest up movement in one month that we've had in 17 years. Mm. Now, but not all property markets are the same. So what we do is we have our own internal uh, property res research house yeah. as well. And we look at data a lot more carefully. So, uh, so when you look at houses, they're in short supply mm. and they're in high demand. There are a couple of factors why. It's because it's only on your occupiers that are very active in the market. Mm. You've got expats coming from overseas with a lot of cash in their money yep. in, a, in their bank pockets. Um, and they can afford to pay an extra half a million dollars to mm. buy 
the 400 square meter house in the eastern suburbs area or mm. Mossman, for example. That's very rare. So that's what we're seeing in the market right now. But the real story behind this as well, and we've done analysis 18 months ago, we do a, what's called a demand supply analysis. And so in the, mar in the unit market, for example, the Parramatta area, for exa example, we notified that as being an oversupplied area 18 months ago. Mm. And as a result, the statistics that just came out just uh, this month, that unit prices in that area have fallen by 13%. Mm. There's other areas like Ride, where you've had a lot of, and obviously COVID hasn't helped as well, um, you've had a lot of supply coming onto the market mm. and it was already oversupplied. <coughs> Plus you have the issue with the fact that we've had COVID, international students are not here, yeah. um, rents uh, are falling, and we've got a lot of internal migration. So people looking for more space, they don't need to be in those central areas, yeah. they're going further out and they're preferring houses. And the other thing that's uh, uh, a very interesting trend, you got you got all of the significant incentives to first owner home buyers. Yeah. Now, if they got an option to rent somewhere versus owning their own property, mm. uh, and it's going to be a house that they can build a new one, mm. which one are they yeah. going to choose? With, so with interest rates around 2%, yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, so the, the important point then is, uh, and this is a, a question I get a lot, is city apartments, mm. you know, they really are lacking customers. Yeah. Um, um, a, are the prices falling? And B, mm. do they represent a potential good buy for the future? Look, our personal belief is that it will recover. Mm. And what the, the gap between houses and units are widening a lot more. Mm. But once we have a market which goes back to normal with migration and all the students come back to Sydney, mm. Melbourne and, and, and Brisbane, I think it will, it will continue going down that trend. So mm. it might take a year, mm. it might take two years. Mm. The risk for an investor is obviously buying that property and having a much lower rent than they expected, mm. but it might be a 12 to 24 month strategy for them. Mm. Uh, we have no issue lending against those assets as long as we uh, apply the appropriate gearing towards it. Mm. And we have enough mitigants to mitigate the fact that that asset could might fall another 5%. Okay. Is there anything else you think you'd like to share with us? Because you know, you're here primarily as a, a person, a business that's at the coalface of the, of the property market. Yeah. Is there anything, any other important point you've noted in recent time? Look, I, I think a lot of people sitting back at home and thinking about, wow, are we really in the property boom? Mm. Um, and there's, there's some analysis which is worthwhile talking about in relation, or is it gonna bust mm. overnight? Yeah. So is it a bubble ready is to it, burst? Is a bubble ready to burst? Mm. Look, if you really think about it, since 2017, we're now back to the same prices that we had in 2017. Yep. Yep. If the mm. market, for example, overheats, and we can look at New Zealand, for example, I think we already have a test case in Australia where in 2017, Prudential Authority came in and said, look, I think people are taking on too much debt. How's the price going t too quickly? Mm. And if you think back what we did, or what the government did, it made it harder for people to borrow money. Mm. And that made an impact where proper prices fell, that 15%. Mm. So if anyone's there sitting and thinking this is a bubble, I, don't, I personally don't think so. In 2017, you had interest rates at 4%. Mm. Now you can get a home loan under 2%. So well, the Reserve Bank has done analysis where 1% decrease in interest rates, that's a pretty much an 8% increase in property value. So I think that if interest rates are low for the next three, four years, we'll probably see that uplift. Will it overshoot? Well, I think the RBA is going to be very comfortable for it to go up to 30%. 
but anything over that, they'll mm. probably put some prudential authorities yeah. to put the brakes on it. Yeah, and, and I think there are people out there who believe that the housing market, if it's a bubble, can only be um, addressed by a pin going in there and it bursts, rather, yep. than, rather than being able to undo the, the balloon and let some air out. And that's yeah. what APRA does when it says, let's slow down the amount of loans that banks and lenders are making. Yeah, and I think the real collapse comes from when you have a significant oversupply of property. Mm. Now, we're not going to see it no. in the market for a long time. That's right. So, But I guess the point you are making about apartments, that in that particular chunk mm. of the markets, there is oversupply, but even over time, that should be taken It'll up. be absorbed very quickly, mm. and it's temporary, yeah. and the amount of new projects coming out is a fraction of what it was happening three, four years ago. Thanks, mate. No problem. Thank you. That's Paul Mirren from M Squared Capital. And my next guest is Paul Wilcox of Oasis Scheme Property, who says passed-in properties are scarce on the ground. Well, the property market is on fire and we've seen auction clearance rates unbelievably high. I'm interested to see what the, the level of passed-in properties is at the moment. You know, is it really small? Is it surprisingly high in some sectors or what? And one guy who knows Paul Wilcox of Oasis Scheme Property, and he's a buyer agent, so he's at the coalface. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Peter. So, so tell us what you're seeing out there when it comes to auctions at this point in time. Uh, well, last week's auction clearance rate was 88%, and I was quoted in the Sydney Morning Herald yesterday saying the same thing. Now, the things that aren't selling tend to be the vanilla-type one- and two-bedroom units and the big complexes, and to a degree, the, the secondary houses in main roads and vendors that generally want too much money because they're reading the paper. Hmm. Okay, so given that then, so if we, if we take out those unusual properties, and I guess we probably should say that a lot of apartments are struggling compared to homes at the moment for a variety of reasons which, which we might get to later, but if you've got a, a really um, good quality home within a uh, a certain area and that home fits that area, I presume the likelihood of it selling either at auction or through open house is unbelievably high. Correct. Like when I when I turn up to an open house, I'm normally one of 40 or 50 people and that's happening every inspection week in, week out at the moment. So as I said, the clearance rate last week was 88%. So there's lots of buyers out there at the moment. So yeah. I don't really expect things to change too much moving in, down into the future. Yeah. Does it make your life that much harder when, in a sense, the FOMO, the fear of missing out factor gets in, and so people are actually sometimes bidding ridiculous prices? Yeah, it does. It's, it's, it's good in one regard because it does bring a lot of clients into, into our business and our phones have been constantly ringing daily. Um, but, you know, trying to get properties bought for a for a decent price is quite hard because you know you can't go on comparables anymore. Anything longer than six or seven weeks is basically too old. Mm. So now you're not competing against the agent and the vendor. You're competing with the other 40 or 50 buyers that are trying to buy the property. Mm. And, and, and is it fair to say that one of the hardest things you can say to a client is the price is too high to stay out of the market because you, we just don't know how long this market's going to go, go, go on rising? Correct. Like it's, I have every conversation I have with a client, I ask the one question, why are they wanting to buy now? Well, you know, I like to sort of tell my clients to buy counter cyclically. So, you know, at the market, we're at the, the booming market and it's, it's people taking 
advantage to lower interest rates at the moment. Mm. But what about, what about the other side of the problem, uh, Paul, where they say, well, I want to maximise the price so I can get from my house, which currently is in a suburb that's going bananas, and I want to get that money then uh, upsize into another home. That even makes the argument you might be putting forward harder to win. Correct. Well, at the moment, most people are, are selling. Most people are buying first, then selling, and that, that's the major problem. The shortage of stock at the moment is quite low yeah. um, because vendors traditionally won't sell until they've brought. So it's sort of a catch twenty two at the moment. So you, you're saying that there is like a, an unusual trend in the sense that people are buying first and then presuming they can sell their place. Correct, because they've got time on their side. Like their house might be worth one point. 1.5 million today, if they sell it in four or five weeks time, it could be worth 1.6, if not more. So it's the right thing about getting the property sooner or later, and then they could sell later on for more money. Is that meaning that a lot more people are asking for extended um, uh, contracts so that they can get that time up their sleeve? No, not at all. It's, it's mainly the standard five to six week settlements that we're doing at the moment. Mm. And, you know, a few times we've been going into four weeks just to, you know, make our, our offer a little bit more attractive. Does it mean that some people have been forced to take bridging finance to make the whole equation work? Not that I've heard of yet, Peter. Yeah. That's extraordinary. So are we seeing a, a supply reaction? You know, in economics we say that, you know, supply should actually eventually come to meet the demand. And for a long time in both Sydney and Melbourne, I know the supply has been terrible. Is that, su yep. that supply of housing, uh, can be the market improving? Well, I hope it does come to market. My, my job's getting, as I said, my job's getting harder every week. Now I thought with Easter almost upon us, I thought there'd be a little bit more than there actually is at the moment. So I think a lot of vendors are still waiting to sit on the fence, seeing what's going to happen, seeing with the, the end of JobKeeper at the end of the month. Hmm. So, so you think JobKeeper could be a, a bit of a, a, a ripple, a negative ripple effect on the market until we see what level of unemployment, what level of negativity comes out of it? Yeah, like I think people just, you know, no one really knows and you know, I'm no expert. So it's just an interesting time. It, it might be a little bit, we might have a little bit of shortage of stock for the next four to six weeks after that. Mm. Um, but auction clearance rates are quite strong. And as I said, yeah, I think people might, there might be a little bit of a lull in the market for two to three weeks. So when clients do come to you and start saying to you, well, I can't find the place I want, uh, are you so suggesting they move to other suburbs, you know, like the, the, the adjoining suburb, if they can't buy in the one they really want to buy? Of course, yeah. Like it's also a case of you know, looking at things that might have a tenant in place, offering a longer settlement to a vendor, um, buying properties that might need a bit of renovation. But generally, yeah, we got to, as a buyer, we're trying to give them as many options as possible in this market. And, and do you, I, I guess if I was you and, I, and I've got a, a lack of, um, stock, but I've got lots of customers. I'd be going around those places where they might be they might be thinking about selling, and you actually try to prompt someone into becoming a seller. Have you ever tried that? And if you have, has it ever worked? Uh, we try that all the time. Like we do letterboxes. We we obviously target homes that have been on them that 
have failed to sell over the last two to three years yeah. through our database. We also, you know, door knocked, we've letterboxed. Yeah, every every opportunity we'll, we'll have a go to, to find something for a client. Mm. Well, given the fact that you are at the coalface, and a lot of people are wondering how long this is going to go on for, you know, based on your historical observation of this market, what, what, how long do you reckon the price is going to continue rising? I think it's, it, to me, I've been doing this job for 20 years. It's, it's starting to feel a bit like 2017 again, where it's just basically the first quarter was 8%, the second quarter was 9%. So I think that, um, I think we're in for a tough year. And one thing that one of my clients who's um, in the financial markets told me he wanted to buy it quickly because uh, while the, um, the international borders are, are closed, We've, we don't have any population growth, so he's expecting the market to continue. So mm. I don't see any, I don't see any downside. This market interest rates are historical low prop, yeah. low low rates. Nothing I don't think will change too much. Are you finding that first home buyers are thinking about looking at maybe the CBD apartments, which currently uh, are, I I, I would presume are selling it less because they've got less Airbnb customers and less foreign students. A, is that market uh, relatively cheaper? Uh, and are first-time buyers starting to, to, to at least think about moving into apartments in that sort of area? Definitely. Like when I speak to a first-time buyer, I always stress the fact that it, it is their first home. It's not their forever home. Yeah. And it's a foot in the ladder. So it's yeah, it's all about giving them options. They might want suburb A, and I'm suggesting suburb B or suburb C. Yeah, and, and but are they also? Well, I, I guess the first question: Are CBD apartments becoming affordable for first-home buyers? And if so, are they thinking about it for, the, for, the, for what we might say for the first time? Uh, well, we don't traditionally go into the CBD apartments. We stay away from the sort of the CBD high-rise sort of stuff. So it's not that sort of market that we gravitate to, Peter. Yeah. And, and are first-home buyers a bit suspicious of the high-rise market because of the problems, you know, with uh, the apartments at uh, Homebush and in Mascot? Mascot. Yeah, correct. Mm. But what about out in the suburbs? Is, is, it, is it still the same kind of uh, concern for the, like the, the lower-rise apartment complexes? I think to a degree, sometimes the first home buyers like the brand new product because everything is brand new. Yeah. So they don't have any problems with maintenance or any issues down the track. But yeah, that's sort of, as I said, we tend to stay away from the, that sort of first, um, the, um, the new market routine. Yeah. And what about investors? Are you starting to see investors come to the market or do they think the market's too hot for them? No, like my most of my business has been owner occupiers, but I'm doing I'm doing a few investors at the moment. A lot of expats living overseas that see Australia as a safe haven. We got through the COVID crisis quite strongly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just sort of suggest there's a lot of expats coming over in the next two to two to three years, and they want their city pad straight away. Mm. So, so are some of these people actually buying those? Um, for, I guess, former investor-owned properties to live in and maybe sometime in the future you expect them to go back and they would rent that apartment out? So I didn't hear that, Peter. I'm saying, are you expecting some of these expats who might be coming home would be coming home for a, a period before maybe going back and then renting those ap apartments out again? 
Oh, I sort of think that yeah, you know, there are a lot of people coming back and they will stay put. You know, I just bought for a client two weeks ago. And he was he was in Singapore for five years. Now he's back for good. You know, he's putting his kids into a local school. I bought the I bought his family a house about six to eight months ago. Yeah. I've just bought an investment property for him, so he, he's um, coming back to Sydney to stay put. Okay, and so because they they often come well healed, they're they're looking at investment properties at a time when investment properties are relatively attractive. Yes. All right, mate. Well, thanks for joining us. It's great to see see and hear what's going on in the market. Good luck with it, and let's hope the supply increases. Me too. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me, Peter. And that's the show for tonight. If you want to read what I'm writing about every day, try Switzer Daily each day and you'll be surprised how informed you'll become about shares, property and your own personal finances. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.